You're listening to Radio DePaul. I'm Connor Mudd, and this is a very spooky episode of Tom Talks. Welcome to episode 17 of Tom Talks. On today's episode, we'll be interviewing a vampire. Uh, this vampire is a substitute teacher. She's the founder of a feminist literary magazine, and she reads over 100 books a year. Everybody give it up for Morgan Kale Ackerman. Morgan, how are you this morning? I'm pretty good. Surprised to be called a vampire, but I'll take it. We're all vampires here. This is our very special Halloween episode, which is why I have this Halloween soundboard where I can make some fun Halloween sounds like this werewolf howl. <laughs> Anyways, well, welcome on the show. We, we've had you on before. Uh, you were uh, one of the participants in our Rock the Clock charity fundraiser episode uh, with Legend. Apparently, if it's a fantasy movie related, I'm your gal. Pretty much. I mean, you did graduate from DePaul having studied fantasy literature. As such, what is your favorite fantasy novel? Okay, well, this is a long question, but if it's series, I am a basic person and I'm going to say Harry Potter. I have a Harry Potter tattoo. But if I'm saying single book alone, that would be this new book that came out called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Is it your favorite because it's the book you're reading now or is it actually your favorite? Um, good question. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> what, what is your like short list of modern fantasy authors that you recommend to people? V.E. Schwab, who I just said, Victoria Aveyard is really good and Sarah J. Moss. So for listeners at home, if you're looking for some new fantasy to check out, check out those authors. Awesome. Let's talk about uh, They Call Us, your, your feminist literary magazine. What's going on with They Call Us right now? What are, what are y'all up to? Yeah, so we were founded in December of 2019. So we're nearing our one year, which is very exciting. And since then, we are working on our fourth edition, but to fit the mood, we have our third edition, they call us witches, about taking back our word and talking about the history and research about why women are called witches, and kind of deciding that we're gonna take back the word as a powerful word for ourselves. And that comes out this Halloween. Amazing. I, you know, I love the stories of witches. Do you talk about other fictional witches in the witch edition or not as much? Normally we have our like recommendation page on they call us about you know, we've done um, about objectification where we mentioned like Bombshell and other movies and TV shows. Um, and then Flawed was our second edition about beauty standards. And then our fourth one, which is coming out is called Bossy about leadership, uh, women in leadership. And for all of those, we have recommendations and movies, book, TV shows, but because Witches was so full of research, we did not have the room. Oh. So we did not food recommendations about witches which is a bummer but maybe next year because we already want to do this again (laughs) 
Yeah, which, which is is a fun topic. Here, here's your chance to give the recommendation. Since you can't give it in the edition, recommend one witch heavy content that you think is worthwhile, be it movie, book, play, TV series. Well, of course, I'm going to say book because I love books. A book that I read recently, which Connor heard me talk all about, is called The Girl Who Swallowed the Moon. I think that's right. And it's actually a children's book, but it's very diverse and about witches and also about taking back your word and like a really diverse cast and like a young boy who was told to hate witches growing up and like him re-evaluating what he viewed. And it was just amazing. And if I read that as a kid, I'd feel so much more empowered. So I highly recommend that book. Awesome. Yeah, that's that sounds like a fun... I remember you talking about that one. It sounded pretty fun, uh, and especially within the realm of witches. You do... Because you, you read a lot of YA books. You also teach children. As, as a, a recent substitute teacher, what, what have been your favorite moments with kids, either as a substitute teacher now or as a teacher in the past? Oh, there's so many moments. Um, let me think. I just started substitute teaching... And um, I have been a science teacher, which is hilarious because I know zero about science. But <laughs> we've been learning about volcanoes. We've also been learning about leaves and trees because I'm teaching fourth grader learning about volcanoes, fifth about trees, we're making an arboretum. And one, me learning about these things now as an adult, I've actually been really enjoying, which is very cool. And then on the flip side, the kids keep asking me, why am I learning this? Why do I need to spend three weeks learning about leaves? Which is a valid question. <laughs> but it's been nice, like, telling them why we do what we do and, like, this will help you. And, you know, why are we learning geography of volcanoes? And I don't know. I think it's been nice to, like, talk about the importance of teachers and why we learn everything we do. Because, no, you don't need to know about volcanoes to make it through the world, <laughs> as we both know. But like help you grow and learn and volcanoes are cool. Volcanoes are are pretty pretty damn cool. Uh, as as a teacher, what what does your ideal classroom look like? Well, I am a newbie, so I've never had my own classroom. But I'm definitely gonna be one of those people where I want a board of kids work. Like I want the kids to be a part of creating my classroom. Yes, I want a bunch of books. There's gonna be all the books ever. <laughs> um, and posters and inspirational quotes, bright colors. There's a lot of research in like what colors you should put in a classroom. And so I wanna follow along with that and use very happy colors. Yellow is a very happy color. My favorite color is red, but that's not as good for a classroom. So <laughs> we'll do what we can do. Red's, red's good for vampires, uh, less good for classrooms. True, when we learn about vampires. Yeah. If, I don't know why we would. <laughs> that would be, an interesting class. If you had to learn about the legitimate history of vampires, I guess like in fifth grade, you could read Dracula, mm -hmm. I guess. We I don't, don't know what reading level Dracula is. We don't really read Draculas in schools anymore, at least from what I've seen on like book lists. Yeah, I've only, I, I read it in college. It was required for a, a rhetoric course, actually, which was really weird. I read Frankenstein in college, but also in high school, but never Dracula. Both are phenomenal stories about cool monsters. I prefer Frankenstein to Dracula. It's more interesting to me. What's your I, What's your favorite Halloween monster? I'm not a monster person. <laughs> Is it just a witch then? Just yeah, stick I with witches. It. Witches are cool. They have magic. That leans on the like fantasy horror route of like Stephen King, and I'm more like, ooh, magic. 
you got to read some of his horror stuff. I know I'm, I don't read all that much, but I think you should read probably not it because it's a, a spider clown. Has so many books. I want to, if I'm reading one, I'm reading Carrie. I feel like I'd love it. I feel like you'd like Carrie. I feel like you'd probably like Cujo too. No, I love dogs. Well, but the, yeah, the dog is like the main character. I don't know. Like Cujo is. He's the bad guy. But I mean, the bad guy is still like the main character. It's a Stephen King book. The bad guy is the main character. No, I'm good. I'm going to love dogs in my books. And well, Carrie's also symbolic of adolescent teens, which goes back to my love of young adult and teaching young adults. True. And it takes place in a high school. Yeah. I think. Pretty sure. (laughs) I think it is. I actually don't know, but I also have a musical. So yeah, I haven't read it or listened to it or watched it. I know very little about Carrie, actually. Well, this is Tom Talks, so we should probably talk some Tom. Uh, How familiar would you say you are with Tom Cruise's filmography? To be honest, not very. But considering you've made me see a bunch of Tom Cruise movies, my knowledge has probably doubled, but pretty low. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've probably showed you at least eight Tom Cruise movies. Probably only had seen like two or three by myself, and then Connor made me watch. (laughs) Right, because what have I made you watch? I haven't made you see Legend. I did make you watch Top Gun. I fell asleep. You did. We actually were watching it again. Interview with the Vampire together in preparation, so I have seen that. Right. Mission Impossible's. I saw Magnolia, which I hated. You saw Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. I've seen War of the Worlds. (laughs) Tropic Thunder. Rock of Ages. I love Rock of Ages. Yeah, of of the ones that you haven't seen, the ones that I still would want to show you, knowing that I've showed you like eight of them, I've showed you ones that I knew I liked, but I think I need to show you ones more that I know you would like. I think you would like Legend because of how campy it is. And I think you dig the like everything about it because it's got Tim Curry in it. There's unicorns. It, there's a like, goblins and all that kind of stuff. I want to um, see a really bad mummy just to make fun of it. Oh. I like really want to. The more yeah. I hear about it and the more I hear how much it sucks, I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. That's because that was actually um, going to be part of a new iteration of monster films in the same vein of like classic Hollywood, uh, just a series that's all within the same universe of monster movies. And then it was so bad that they canceled the entire franchise, uh, which is why the movie features. Jekyll and Hyde. It's that's right. One of the two villains in the movie, I guess one of the three villains, two of the three villains in the movie are Jekyll and Hyde. And they hint at Dracula in it too. Like there's little artifacts of Dracula. It's really dumb. As much as I don't like the like horror characters, the universal series of monster movies are so cool. And the Mm -hmm. idea of recreating it's a great idea not with what i heard happened in this movie but like a good (laughs) redoing of it would be awesome right and and i mean like their casting was so weird i don't think tom cruise needed to be in that movie i think they could have leaned on jake johnson jake johnson who's in the movie as a sidekick i think could have been the leading man and it would have been a much better film for it because jake johnson has the goofiness that brendan Fraser held when he like not originated the role when he last had the role. So you're saying you don't like Tom Cruise in this movie? I don't like Tom Cruise in The Mummy. No, I don't think he fits in that. 
because it meant that the movie was taking itself too seriously. I don't know if Tom Cruise is like a serious actor. <laughs> I he mean, takes yes. himself so seriously though. Well, when I everything. I think action movies and I do not think seriously of those. And yes, he has done more stuff than that, but that is his icon. True. That's when we talk about the Tom Cruise factor, we're generally talking about action. Uh, though, I mean, there, there are there are movies of his. Actually, no, I'm thinking about it. The movies of his that I like least are not his action movies. Like Lions for Lambs is not technically an action movie. It's a war movie, but not an action movie. And Tom Cruise does zero anything in it. He spends the whole movie sitting in a desk chair. And so it's an underutilization of Tom. But like, I'm trying to think of a non-action movie. Jerry Maguire, not an action movie, very good. Still a sports movie though, so on the fence. Yeah, but like, that's what he's known for. If I didn't know Tom Cruise through you and all this knowledge that I've heard all the time, I would just think of him in Mission Impossible. Like, that's probably it. Or, like, sure. Risky Business. Risky Business is a beast in and of itself. It is, ooh. Um, cool. Well, what, is, what has been your favorite so far? Um, probably Mission Impossible. I think he does what he does good. Well, grammar. Um, <laughs> and I don't like movies with guns in it. Um, but when I did watch movies with guns in it, I think those were, I really enjoyed them. And I saw one of them in theaters. It was definitely a whole spectacle and it was fine. I mean, I'm not an action movie person, but he was good at it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the first Mission Impossible or one of the recent ones? I liked Ghost Protocol. Oh That's wait, Nation I saw in theaters and I really liked too. Honestly, his recent ones are all really good. I just he... think they have so much money and so they can kind of do whatever crazy things they want. I think you'd hate the second one. I think you would absolutely hate Mission Impossible 2, directed by, I think, John Woo. I keep trying to show you Face Off by John Woo, and you don't want to. I do not want that. He has the same style for a lot of his movies, which is very dramatic, lots of slow motion, golden guns, kick flips, like ridiculous everything. And it doesn't translate super well to Mission Impossible, because Mission Impossible is like, in the first one, at least, it's understated. It's a very simple kind of spy movie. And then in the second one, it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to drop kick the villain. And then there's going to be a whole stabbing sequence where the knife is a centimeter from his eye. And it's really close up. It's terrible. One where they're down in the water. That, I believe, is Ghost Protocol. That I one believe. was cool. Like, that is etched into my mind. That was a cool scene. And he actually trained himself and learned how to hold his breath for seven minutes so that is a genuine complete take and that is not a stuntman that is tom cruise holding his breath That's it's sick. he's got no breathing apparatus no nothing because he was like no we're we're doing the stunt uh is he doing the hanging off the plane stuff yeah that's actually him hanging off the side of the plane in i believe that's rogue nation also he actually climbed the burj khalifa uh and swung on the side um, he learned how to fly a helicopter for Fallout, wow. which is pretty pretty damn impressive. <laughs> of course, in the movie that, that we're talking about today, Interview with a Vampire, there's not a ton of stunts for him to do, though he did do some pretty intense preparation for the role. Reports have it that uh, he prepared for the role by watching videos of lions attacking zebras. 
which feels so messed up. That totally makes sense with this character, though. (laughs) He did do his, did he do his own stunt? Well, have you, spoiler alert, he catches on fire a lot. That probably wasn't him. (laughs) I feel fairly certain that that wasn't him. It might be his only stunt that I can think of. He probably did all of the wire stuff whenever they did floating, but I doubt that he lit himself on fire. Unless it was like a bucket list thing, but I haven't read any reports that it was him. Yeah, because it was a lot of fire. It wasn't it wasn't a small amount. Right. It was the entire house was on fire. Has to be a trained professional in that case. Right? Yeah. Well, the, the next two questions are questions that I ask everyone on the show. You, you know the questions. Uh, the first one, what is the most Tom Cruise-y thing that you have ever done? Okay, I thought long and hard on this because I am not like Tom Cruise. But my answer is, I am also in love with Nicole Kidman. (laughs) Valid. Valid. He did leave her for Scientology, but we can assume that he did love her very much. Don't relate on that front, but... (laughs) How could he... Yeah. I think if if either of us were ever married to Nicole Kidman, we would not leave her for any reason. Anything. Especially Scientology. Right? Right. There's not enough benefits from a religion in the world to leave Nicole Kidman. Uh, but then, of course, you know the next question. I'm giving you one minute to say anything that you have ever wanted to say to Tom Cruise. If he ever listens to the show, I'm going to supercut all of these minutes together so that he can hear what people want to say to him. Uh, so your minute starts now. Hey, Tom, what's up? Nice to meet you. Um, I would say kind of on the lines of doing different movies, you're very good at what you do and we all enjoy you, but I think you can transition to doing movies that kind of make a difference in the world and try and work harder to do movies that, you know, are social justice based and you can use your privilege as a white straight man to talk about important issues and try to Yes, action movies are great, but you can use your acting and privilege and actor presence to talk about uh, climate change and all the important topics. Use your power for good. Also, this man, Connor, you need to meet him. He's done great work about you and deserve it. (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) Cool. You had six (laughs) seconds to spare. A minute feels like a long time. It is. don't know what to do (laughs) i was listening back in the first episode it was 30 seconds the first episode of tom talks i only gave people 30 seconds that leads us into our first commercial break tune in after the commercial break to hear us play a game of interview with a vampire i'm voting because i want to make sure that everyone feels welcome in our country i vote because my parents can't i vote because i really hate Decisions being made without my input. I vote because I want to say in my future. I vote because I want my voice heard. I'm voting because the future of this city matters to me. I'm voting because everyone always talks about how bad things are. I want to make them better. I vote for the future. So, why do you vote? Tuesday, November 6th is midterm election day, and your vote is your voice. 
To find your polling place in Chicago, visit chicagoelections.com. This message was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. You're listening to Radio DePaul. Awarded Best Station in the Nation 2020. Hello and welcome back to Tom Talks. You're listening to Radio DePaul. I'm Connor Mudd and I'm here with Morgan Kale Ackerman. We are about to play a game of interview with a vampire. Uh, the game is pretty much 20 questions. We will each uh, have chosen uh, a monster from a list of monsters, classic movie monsters, horror villains, etc., And we will answer questions as if we are those monsters. Yes or no questions uh, in order for the other person to guess uh, we'll keep score. Our goal is to have the fewest number of questions asked, and the the winner gets bragging rights, I suppose. We don't have anything for winners on this show. We never do. I'm definitely going to lose, so. <laughs> I don't know. I think you've got this. I think I think you can do it pretty well. Do I know half the monsters on this list? Uh, Maybe. Well more than half, I'm sure. Not enough to ask questions. Okay. Yes, we'll find out. So would you like to start first as the interviewer or the interviewee? I want to interview you. All right. I have my monster pick. Ask away. Is he, she, them humanoid? No. Hmm. I should have like printed this out so I can cross it out. <laughs> um, this is hard. <laughs> It is tricky. I guess it's more like guess who than 20 questions. Yeah, but I don't can't put it down. So I just have to keep guessing <laughs> random stuff. So not humanoid. That does narrow it down. Um, what's the thing? I, we can take are him off the they, list. Are they smaller than the size of a human? Yes. Is a ghost considered humanoid? I don't know. Is this part of the interview question or is this more of a rules question? I, th- I guess it's a rules question. That's, I think that's I feel like up to your interpretation as a questioner, if you think ghosts are humanoid or not. Okay. Then I'm at two. Is their skin tone green? Yes. Is that alien? No. Aliens also... <laughs> I, I was thinking of the movie Alien, I suppose, but... That's what I thought. The, the movie Alien, their skin tone is black. I thought it was green. I've only no. seen that one scene. I've only seen that the scene. With Isn't the Sig- first one there? The new one. I thought they were okay. Well, never mind. I'm on five. Okay. That was four. Four questions. Well, I guessed what it was, so I feel like that counts. That was the fourth question. So their skin is green. I don't know what color skin the blob has. <laughs> um <laughs> What's Leprechaun? I assume it's not what I'm thinking. No, it is what you're thinking. There's just a series of horror movies about the Leprechaun, so I put it on the list. Leprechaun. That's my guess. It's Leprechauns are humanoid. Are they? Yes. I guess, because an elf is considered that. Is it the blob? No. I'm so bad at this. You've got it. There's... You've narrowed it down so much. You're going to get it. I just don't know a lot of these. Which ones do you not know? So many. Which ones, though? 
Not enough to know how to narrow this down. Okay. So it's smaller than a human. Yes. Green. Yep. And not humanoid. Yes. Oh, a zombie. Zombies are human. Zombies are formerly human. All of these, I feel like, are humanoid. Igor is humanoid as well. Yeah, Igor is just a human. Slender Man is a man. I feel like those are all of them. <laughs> is it Gremlin? Yes, it's the Gremlin. You've seen Gremlins, right? I have not. Oh, we've got to watch Gremlins. I'm probably good. They're not green. Yeah, they are. So well, when when they're Gremlins, yes. Not when they're Mogwai. Oh, because I was thinking they're brown. That's yeah. why I kept saying them. <laughs> Before they turn into Gremlins, they are generally they're they're brown and cute and fun like a little furby but if you feed them after midnight or get them wet all that jazz they turn into the green gremlins got it okay so that that was eight eight questions so my turn to interview you yeah let me let me pick one i feel like you're gonna know which one i'm picking but i got um do they eat people (laughs) yes Okay, that didn't narrow it down as much as I thought it would. Right? I know. I was like, a lot of these do. Uh, 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 yeah, a pretty high percentage of them feast on humans. Do they hold a job outside of being a monster? Yes. Okay. That narrows it down significantly, I think. Are they jailed for their actions? I don't remember. Should we just say that's neutral? Sure. sure. Ask another one. I can search it if you really care. I think I know. I think I know who it is. Is it Sweeney Todd? Yeah. <laughs> like musical theater character. I could do this. <laughs> that, I think what... it works better when you guess. So should I pick another monster and we do another one? Sure. And I, I think we, we should each get two goes at it. So we'll end with me, and I'll do one that for sure you know. Okay. You pick one. Okay, cool. I picked mine. I like the idea about the job. That was clever. It, it For me, that narrowed it down to Hannibal Lecter or Sweeney Todd. Those are the only two on this list Vampires that have jobs. What? Eat people? Vampires eat people, but if they have a job, it's got to no. be Hannibal Lecter, who I forget what he was before. He was just a cannibal. Um, and Sweeney Todd, who's a barber. Igor kind of has a job. <laughs> You're right. Victor yeah. Frankenstein does employ Igor <laughs> in some way. Okay. Are they humanoid? No. Do they have special powers? Define special powers. Because uh, um, I'd say like, that's a good question. Um, I'd say like Carrie would have powers and so would the mummy because they're cursed but like a zombie doesn't because they're just the monster themselves does that make sense okay so the answer is no they don't have special powers and they're not humanoid do they have fur yes okay well i feel like it's king kong or godzilla (laughs) look at the rest of the list i don't know the difference between them all that much between king kong and godzilla I'm going to find a photo. Look up some pictures of the two of them. Yeah. Are they based on a creature that we know on Earth? Yes. King Kong. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's King Kong. Godzilla doesn't have fur. Oh. He's a a lizard. I thought Godzilla was, to be honest. That makes more sense. (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe we need to watch Godzilla. I think I'm good. It's fine. I well, the new one's fine. I've never seen the old ones. Anyways, we know I'm more of a book person. After watching Interview with a Vampire, I want to read the book. Yeah. Okay. All right. You pick one. I'll ask questions. Okay. I'm ready. You can even do one that's not on a list if you so choose. I probably can't think of another one. Okay. Is this monster just misunderstood? Yes. Is it Frankenstein's monster? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No. I I was between two. Maybe I need to stop going for the ones that I know really well because you know which ones I know. Well, because the there was really only two on this list that could be misunderstood. Um, actually, three. King Kong could be misunderstood, but I had just done King Kong. Um, what about the mummy? Why can't he be misunderstood? The mummy's not misunderstood. The mummy is out for death. Carrie? I guess Carrie could be misunderstood. I was thinking Casper the goat, easily misunderstood. He's that a friendly ghost. Be. That was going to be my other choice. So apparently I just like the friendly ones. <laughs> and the musical theater one. Right, of course. <laughs> of course. And I think we've talked too much about Carrie this episode for you to pick Carrie. Was my reasoning no, for not guessing Carrie. I Honestly, I liked that game. That was pretty fun. I'm yeah. not good at it. You you did pretty well. You you had thirteen questions. You you asked thirteen. Very bad. <laughs> Your first round was a little rough. You you got there in the second though. You you did the second sub five. Do you want to do one more round? Okay, we'll do one more round. The redemption round. Uh, I have mine. Are they humanoid? Yes. Does not narrow it down. <laughs> not very much. I like it. I think it divides things pretty it, well. It takes out the blob and Godzilla and King Kong and Gremlins. Yeah. Were they once or are they currently human? They were, yes. Have they transformed from their human form? Yes. Okay, so that takes out a lot. Kind of. I guess it's con- like, would you consider Pinhead transformed? I think Pinhead is a demon. Like- I think I don't think oh. Pinhead was ever human. I've never seen the oh. movie of Hell Hellraiser Either. is the the movie. So I assume that somebody raises hell and Pinhead is the result of it. I don't know if the creature from the Black Lagoon, I assume that's not human. Though, I don't think so. I feel like there's one that I think it is, but that has proved poorly in the past. <laughs> so they were have transformed into this. They are humanoid. They were human at some point, perhaps. Do they Eat people. Yes. Um, hesitantly. Is it a it's not a zombie. That's why I said hesitantly, yes. They eat brains. So, on right. a different note, I read a kid's book at school called, um, I don't remember what it's called, but the kid zombie wanted to only eat vegetables and wanted to eat grains instead of brains. And that's the best thing ever. So, it's not a zombie. Um, is it Wolfman? No. It's the the other one that that's left. Oh, it's Dracula. It's Dracula. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do thought, say tentatively eat well, people because he only drinks their blood. Drink he doesn't eat their flesh the way that a wolf man or a zombie might. So I was like, yeah, he more drinks people. It's more of like a Capri okay. Sun situation where he just stick a little straw in there, get a little juice. 
Definitely not, but. <laughs> do you, okay. do you want, I'll, I'll do one more as well. All right. Are they from this planet? Well, that's a question of have I seen the movie? And I don't think I know. Sure. Okay. Like background to it. I'm, I want to say yes, but I don't know canon wise if that's true or not. That is my long answer. Sorry. Are they tall enough to ride a roller coaster? <laughs> no. Is it a leprechaun? No. Oh, okay. Thought I had that. Haha. So they might be from this plane of existence. They're not tall enough to ride a roller coaster. Are they humanoid? Yes. Is it Chucky? Yes. I got it. <laughs> I don't is Chucky from Earth? I honestly don't know. I haven't seen the movie. I, because the reason I thought it was Leprechaun is because within the, the franchise of the Leprechaun, there is a, a movie called Leprechauns in Space. I believe it's the seventh in the Leprechaun franchise. And so. So many. Why did they need seven movies? Have you, yeah, you haven't seen them. <laughs> no. I don't think I've seen most of the movies on that list. Leprechaun in the Hood. This is the Leprechaun. It's so bad. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> But it's what made Warwick Davis all of his money. So these are these are the movies. Leprechaun 4 is Leprechaun in Space. Then Leprechaun 5 is Leprechaun in the Hood. And then there's Leprechaun Back to the Hood. And then Leprechaun Origins and Leprechaun Returns. Yeah, it's not good. Jennifer Aniston's in it. Why? <laughs> no one, nobody knows. Uh, well, on that note, uh, I think it's time that we listen to a Phoebe Bridgers song, and then go into a plot synopsis and data breakdown. So stay tuned after this. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Connor Mudd. You're listening to Radio DePaul. This is Tom Talks, and that was Halloween by Phoebe Bridgers. Really phenomenal little Halloween song. It's just a grand old time. Uh, I still have my guest with me for this synopsis. We're doing things. We're back to the old ways. So we're gonna we're gonna talk through the synopsis because Morgan and I just watched this movie. So if I get something wrong, she will keep me in check when we go through the synopsis and the fast facts. Morgan, did you like this movie? Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, it was thoroughly enjoyable, but I don't think I'd ever watch it again reasonable you don't it's it doesn't resonate the way that other halloween horror or scary movies might resonate with the season i just don't need to see it again like one was enough <laughs> there is a sequel without tom cruise would you ever be interested in seeing it yes but it doesn't make any sense that tom cruise isn't in it oh i'll explain it uh in the fast facts <laughs> um all right well we'll we'll start with a little bit of a plot synopsis this movie starts out uh, in modern day San Francisco when a reporter uh, by the name of Daniel Malloy, I don't think they ever actually mentioned that in the film, uh, only in the credits, in is interviewing a man by the name of Louis Dupont de Lac. Big name. His name is Louis, uh, and he claims to be a vampire. Louis describes uh, his human life as a wealthy plantation owner in 1791 Spanish Louisiana, a despondent following the death of his wife and his unborn child. Uh, one night he is attacked by a vampire by the name of Lestat or Lestat. 
as they pronounce it in the movie, but it reads like Lestat uh, while drunkenly wandering the waterfront of New Orleans. Lestat senses Luis's uh, dissatisfaction with life uh, and offers to turn him into a vampire. And Louis, Luis, Louis, whatever, uh, he accepts. However, he quickly regrets it very immediately. He really is disgusted with Lestat's pleasure of killing because Lestat loves to kill people. Uh, and he's disgusted by Lestat's um, pleasure of killing uh, and comes to suffer tremendously as a vampire because Lestat just keeps hunting and killing humans and, and reveling in all of it. There's a sequence where they are at a party to pick on the wealthy elites and Louis just goes after a dog and Lestat kills the bourgeoisie classic french vampires killing the bourgeoisie uh so uh, then they they start to to wander the streets of new orleans uh, amid an outbreak of plague uh, and louis can resist his hunger no more and he feeds on a little girl whose mother has died of the plague uh to entice louis to stay with him lestat turns the dying girl into a vampire uh her name is claudia uh together they raise her as a daughter Louis has a pure love for Claudia, while Lestat treats her more as a student and is training her to be a merciless killer. As 30 years pass, Claudia matures psychologically, but still remains a little girl in appearance, and she is treated as such by Lestat. When she finally realizes that she will never grow any older or become a mature woman, she is furious with Lestat and tells Louis that they should leave him. She tricks Lestat into drinking uh, dead blood, uh, of twin boys that she killed uh, by overdosing them with laudanum, which weakens Lestat. And then she slits his throat. Uh, with Louis' help, they dump him in the swamp because that's what you do with the body of a dead vampire. You dump him in the swamp with Especially alligators, right? <laughs> it's that, that was a very morbid scene of the movie where the little girl drugs two little boys and then slits the vampire's throat and drags him into uh, an alligator swamp. And then, you know, they're going to go to Europe. They plan a voyage to Europe, but Lestat returns late on the night of their departure, uh, having drunk the blood of all of the swamp creatures to survive. Every frog, every toad, all of it. Lestat attacks them, uh, but Louis sets them on fire. This is the second fire that Louis has started in the film. He also burns down his plantation uh, back in the the... Spanish Louisiana in like the 1790s, Louis sets Lestat now on fire and the whole house uh, and the ensuing ablaze, they escape. Uh, so they, they part ways with Lestat. Lestat stays in America and they get on the ship to Europe. After traveling around Europe and the Mediterranean, but finding no other vampires, Louis and Claudia uh, settle harmoniously in Paris in 1870, where Louis enca uh, encounters vampires uh, Santiago and Armand just by chance. Armand invites Louis and Claudia to his coven, which is pronounced, how do you pronounce that? Is that just Théâtre de Vampire? The Vampire Theater. The Vampire Theater. So, so they go to the Vampire Theater where the vampires stage uh, theatrical horror shows for humans. So on their way out of the theater, Santiago reads Louis's mind and suspects that Louis and Claudia murdered Lestat. Armand warns Louis to send Claudia away for her own safety, and Louis is intrigued to stay with Armand and learn more about the meaning of being a vampire. Claudia demands that Louis turn a human woman, Madeline, uh, to be her new protector and companion, and he reluctantly complies. 
the Parisian vampires abduct all three, uh, Madeline, Claudia, and Louis, and punish them for Lestat's murder, imprisoning Louis in a metal coffin, and trapping Claudia and Madeline in a well where sunlight burns them to ash. Armand does nothing to prevent this, but the next day he frees Louis. Seeking revenge, Louis returns to the theater at dawn and sets it on fire, making it the third arson that he commits, and he kills all of the vampires, including Santiago. Armand arrives in time to help Louis escape the sunrise and once again offers him a place by his side. Louis refuses Armand and leaves for good, knowing that Armand could have saved Claudia. As decades pass, Louis explores the world uh, dejectedly alone and eventually returns to New Orleans. One night, he comes across Lestat, living as a recluse in, a, in a, an abandoned mansion and surviving on rat blood, uh, as Louis did early in the film. Lestat asks Louis to join him, but Louis rejects and leaves. Louis concludes the interview with the first guy, Daniel, promptly uh, prompting Daniel to offer to be the new vampire companion. Louis uh, is outraged that Daniel did not understand the tale of suffering uh, and has that he has related, and he scares him into abandoning the idea. After Louis vanishes, Malloy runs to his car and takes off, and on the Golden Gate Bridge, Lestat appears out of nowhere in the backseat of his car and attacks him and takes control of the car. Uh, he's revived by Malloy's blood, and Lestat offers him a choice that he never had. The choice being whether or not to become a vampire. Uh, Which also was the first thing Lestat said to Louis when he turned him into a vampire, making this a cyclical movie. They also, they play a uh, cover of a Rolling Stones song right at the end because Lestat figures out how to use the radio. Um, that was a cool moment. Yeah, where Sympathy for the Devil plays. I thought about having that be the song on this episode because it's the one song in the movie. But yeah, pretty pretty solid movie, interesting storyline. Um, we'll talk a little bit of Fast Facts. It's directed by uh, Neil Jordan, who pretty much has only directed The Borgias and not a bunch else. Uh, the writer, of course, is Anne Rice, who also wrote the loose sequel. I say loose sequel, uh, Queen of the Damned. Queen of the Damned is a terrible, terrible movie. I'm going to pull up the IMDb page for Queen of the Damned because it's, it is more of a cult classic than Interview with a Vampire, which is so weird to me that it has picked up more of a cult following in the long term. Ooh. The mother of all vampires. Wait, uh, so Anne Rice wrote the book and the movie for Interview with the Vampire? Technically, she's credited on the movie. Yes. It, it has to do with the Writers Guild, actually, because um, there there were other writers in the room, but because of some distinct rules within the Writers Guild, uh, she is credited as the sole writer of the film. That's cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Uh, I'm glad that she got credit where it's due, though I'll, I'll explain it a little bit. She wasn't on the set too much for this movie. The cast... Uh, Louis is Brad Pitt, which because we know, because this cast is so stacked, uh, I'm only going to go into a few of the actors and I'm only going to tell you for the ones that are especially famous. I'm only going to tell you the first role that they were ever in because we know what Brad Pitt's in. Everyone knows Brad Pitt, but his first role ever, he played Boy at the Beach 
in the movie Hunk. And I think that's a great first role for Brad Pitt. It it fits perfectly. Malloy, uh, the guy interviewing Daniel Malloy, uh, is played by Christian Slater. Again, everyone should know who Christian Slater is. Mr. Robot, Heathers, etc. But his first role ever was Search for Tomorrow. He played uh, Boy in Hospital Number One. Number One. Number One. Right? He's top billed on the <laughs> list of boys in hospital. Claudia, the, the little girl who they adopt, is played by Kirsten Dunst. Of course, Spider-Man, Eternal Sunshine. Uh, her first role, she actually did two when she was really young in her first role. She was uh, Lisa's daughter in New York Stories. And she also was the American voice of Kiki in Kiki's Delivery Service when they dubbed the movie. I've never seen that movie, but I, I, I've heard great things. It's Studio Ghibli. I believe you. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch too much Studio Ghibli. I we we should let's watch let's watch this one. I think we'll like it. Uh, and then Armand is played by Antonio Banderas, whose first uh, film role was in a movie called False Eyelash. I, I think it was like some minor uncredited extra work, but still pretty cool that he's in it. There's one other person who's a little bit less a list because I'd consider all those like pretty top of the top of the heap. Uh, the character Yvette, who is one of the servants at uh, Louise's plantation, I believe, is played by Thandie Newton, who you would know, Morgan, from Westworld. Oh. Yeah, she is. Let me pull up her photo and you'll be like, oh, yes, I know her. Oh, wow. I thought I recognized her. I just didn't know from what. Yeah, so she's in Westworld. She's also in the movie Crash and is with Tom Cruise again in Mission Impossible 2. She's the love interest in Mission Impossible 2. So that's, I mean, there's a ton of people in this cast, but those are the ones that are really in it, in it. Um, And no one else on the cast has any other like super interesting credits or two interesting fun facts, that kind of stuff. You haven't done Tom Cruise yet. Tom Cruise plays Lestat. Yeah. The villain. Yeah, this is one of his his few villain roles, uh, which is really interesting. He he very rarely does stuff like that. And and people in the casting process were a little concerned with his range. Actually, I, Anne Rice in particular uh, was mad that they were considering Tom Cruise for this role. Um, she wrote this book in like 1976 and, and immediately sold the rights to be made into a movie because people saw its potential to be made into a great movie. But then in 1979, there was three other vampire movies that came out in that one year. And they were like, we should probably hold off uh, and wait for the next vampire craze. The original person casted as uh, Lestat, Tom Cruise's role, was, this is so funny to me. It's John Travolta. Uh, It was initially going to be a 1970s John Travolta vampire movie. Wow, it, I'm sad I missed out on that, to be honest. Right? It would have yeah. been really weird. Um, Anne Rice picked John Travolta specifically. Like, she was invested in John Travolta. Tom Cruise did a great job. I liked seeing him as a villain, and he had some really interesting monologues. Yeah, he, he, did, he did well with what he was given. But Anne Rice, upon the casting of Tom Cruise, did not think that Tom could handle the role. So she recused herself from the set because she was on the set. And then she was like, I don't think Tom can handle it. So she left and wasn't involved in production and didn't see it at the premiere, didn't see it at at all until somebody sent her a VHS copy. 
And when she watched it, she liked it so much and his performance so much that she took out a two page ad in the New York Times and Vanity Fair to endorse the film. Whoa. That's yeah. wild. Right? Uh, here's a list of other people Anne Rice wanted in the role instead of Tom Cruise John Malkovich, Jeremy Irons, Johnny Depp, Daniel Day Lewis, and Tom Hanks. Oh, I don't like Tom Hanks, but Johnny Depp, that would have been so cool. Johnny Depp does play a phenomenal vampire. Johnny Depp's been in so many things. That's true. I'm trying to remember, what's the one where he plays a Dark Shadows? That's what it is. That's where he plays a vampire. So we would have gotten a little bit more of that if he had actually gotten the role. I think that John Malkovich would have been terrible in that role. John Malkovich- Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, yeah, I don't think, I don't think either of them are sexy enough to be Lestat. I think Lestat has to have, because Tom Cruise has some like weird magnetism about him. Tom Hanks doesn't. Tom Hanks is like a, a oh, I'm, I'm Woody from Toy Story huh? vibe rather than like a, you know, sexy gay vampire vibes. Can we talk about this description that's here on IMBD that's just bad? <laughs> oh, uh, a vampire tells his epic life story colon, love, betrayal, loneliness, and hunger. It's like the most basic every single vampire movie description ever. <laughs> right? So basic. There, there are some other fun facts, too. Do you okay. think you could name the top four highest performing LGBTQIA plus films of all time? No. <laughs> I can try. What? Uh, give it give it a go what do you think what do you think like the top if you had to pick one lgbtqia issues vaguely focused movie of all time what would you put I'm at thinking, number one i'm thinking the mainstream ones are going to be really high so probably like love simon or um call me by your name okay that's a that's a good guess i really love the danish girl which is a trans film although eddie redmayne's now very controversial supporting jk rowling in her anti-trans uh rhetoric so we don't like eddie redmayne anymore but the movie i think has really done well about the first trans surgery and that one's not as popular but i love it and i think it's very important those are all good Nathan, answers. i can't i can't think of a lesbian movie and that's the worst thing um that is pretty bad i will say that whatever classifications they use it doesn't have to be about the characters being LGBTQ. Oh, not it, like LGBTQ focused movies. No, it's movies, I think that, I believe just feature LGBTQ people. It's not about them being mm. that identity, but it features them heavily. If that sways. I don't know if I'm thinking LGBTQ movie. Yes, it's important to feature them but like lgbtq movies to me are like about that and about our community sure show well, me them <laughs> i'll show you the list because the list is very funny to me uh number one what? bohemian rhapsody number two <laughs> the birdcage number three interview with a vampire the vampire chronicles the third highest grossing lgbtq movie of all time i can't believe uh, i forgot imitation game and brokeback mountain you did wow. forget Imitation Game and Brokeback Mountain and uh, Philadelphia. Love, Simon is on here. Love, Simon's like number 12, I think. There are not a lot of women movies here. Okay, that needs to change. You're true. That, that does need to change. This actually, this was the first LGBT 
related film to gross more than a hundred million dollars. It's uh, not LGBTQ. It's two men raising a young daughter. So I will give you that. Brad Pitt hated being on this movie so much that he like asked his agent, like, how do I get out of this movie? And he was like, it's going to be $40 million. If you do that, uh, you're going to have to pay 40 million. So no, yeah. you're not leaving. Suck it up. He was in like every scene. He's the main, yeah, he's the main character. And the shooting took months. Like it was a, a long process of production for this movie. I don't, I feel bad for Brad Pitt for having to do that. But also his performance was great. Reports generally say that in the book, his character is not as like brooding as Brad Pitt is. And, and the reports are that Brad Pitt was just so miserable that he played the character brooding the entire time. That's so. sad to hear. <laughs> it is sad to hear, but I'm not at all surprised. It feels like an insane set to be on. Like Tom Cruise had the set like locked down so that the visual effect, the quote unquote visual effects, the makeup of all the characters wouldn't leak to the press uh, so that it would be a surprise for everyone in theaters what they looked like. That just feels so hostile. Feels like a really hostile workplace where people are hanging upside down all the time. Brad Pitt's miserable, like big, big rough time. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk a little bit of data breakdown uh, before before we get going. Uh, as uh, listeners know, I rate each movie on scales of enjoyment, engagement, quality, iconography, and the Tom Cruise factor. This movie uh, I enjoyed uh, quite a bit. I was quite engaged. The quality I put pretty low. I put it as a nine. Because it's not that much. It's 9 out of 20. Iconography, it's not that iconic. The Tom Cruise factor, it's very Tom Cruise-y, I think. Because he's in some interesting prosthetics. He's not necessarily doing stunts, but every scene that he's in, he's kind of like yelling a little bit and going way over the top, which is so Tom Cruise-y. But it's still not, it's not as Tom Cruise-y as like Mission Impossible. So I gave it a 14 out of 20. Uh, which puts the total comprehensive score from Connor at a 61, which is pretty much on par. It is one below my average score that I give. Comparing it to other movies that I've done so far, I give The Outsiders a 60. So I liked it slightly better than The Outsiders and slightly less than The Color of Money. So yeah, pretty good movie on the whole. Uh, It's in level with Cocktail almost, like two points away. Yeah, two points, two points away from cocktail. And it's the same as a few that we'll get to in the future, uh, which is super fun. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show today. It's been a wonderful time, as always. But before you go, tell people where they can find uh, your feminist literary magazine. How, how can they find it online? Yeah, you can go to theycallus.com and you can find us on social media, they.call.us. Pretty simple. Check us out. Come check out our witch edition coming out this Halloween. Awesome. But anyways, but yeah, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you, Morgan, for coming on the show. Uh, And as always, stay gold, pony boy.